Welcome to the Pilot Podcast, where we watch the pilot episodes of TV shows to answer your question, should I watch this? My name is BJ. And my name is Me Too. And this week, we're checking out Lovecraft Country on HBO, Hoops on Netflix, Love in the Time of Corona on Freeform, and Star Trek Lower Decks on CBS All Access. So stay tuned to the end if BJ would make a nice treat for an alien. Hmm, that's a good question. Wow, Beach, I'm so glad that I've stumped you. Oh, I was just gonna make the listeners stay tuned. Okay, well, we'll answer it by the end. So speaking of aliens, which appear not once but twice in the slate of shows that we reviewed today, why don't we talk about the first one, Lovecraft Country from HBO. Good idea. Lovecraft Country is a horror drama based on the 2016 novel of the same name by Matt Ruff. And in this, we follow Tick Freeman, played by Jonathan Majors, his childhood friend, Letty Lewis, played by Journey Smollett, and his uncle, George Freeman, played by Courtney B. Vance. This takes place in 1950s America during the time of segregation, where Tick is on a journey to find his missing father and learn more about his ancestry. And this is going to take him into Lovecraft Country, the towns that actually inspired the writer Lovecraft. So we have to see if these characters can survive both racism and monsters. And conflating the two because racists are monsters. So So in this first episode, Tick receives a letter from his father telling him that he should go to Artem, Massachusetts to learn more about his family. And that's when George and Letty say that they are going to join him on this cross-country road trip. And along the way, they're chased out of a town by murderous racists. They go into a sundown county with a vile sheriff, and they end up meeting monsters such as Shoggoths. Me too. What was your initial impression of Lovecraft Country and the mysteries that it presents? I thought that the storytelling was really powerful here. So this first episode was written by the show's showrunner, Misha Green, who also was behind the critically acclaimed show Underground. And like we joked about a little bit in the beginning, it is this conflation of racism and monsters and showing the horrors of racism through this surreal and hyper real lens. Mm -hmm. So we see them terrified of sundown towns and using this guide this green book guide that his uncle that his uncle george writes for the black community to show folks where it's safe to stop and pull over and that sounds like the plot of a horror movie but that is the existence that was the existence of black folks in that era and Mm -hmm. high key the NAACP has issued recent guides also of places where people should and shouldn't go but also we have this supernatural element of these monsters with eyes all over them eating people at night. And so it was really cool to watch. For my fellow babies who are scared of horror, this was very gory. It was scary, but I also thought it was so beautifully done that I didn't mind the scaries. I think they did a great job blending the adventure with the supernatural. And I think that's what makes the horror more approachable. Because like you, I don't trend towards horror as a genre Mm -hmm. but the way that they were able to take the racist parts of the world the evil of prejudice and turn that into these lovecraft monsters that you literally see attacking i think is is really beautiful imagery so despite the blood you actually can like appreciate what they're doing with that 
And also a quick shout out to History Channel's documentary on the Green Book. It's really worth a watch to learn more about the Green Book. I watched it with my family last Thanksgiving, and I really liked it. Don't watch the movie, watch the documentary. Yes. I would also say shout out (laughs) to Jordan Peele, who is an executive producer on this project. So with the racist undertones and this whole 1950s setting, did this feel very timely to you? It was very satisfying to watch racist people be eaten. And maybe that is why the horror didn't scare me as much. Because initially I was watching with my hands over my eyes. But then when I saw a little bit of a trend of this like group of racists, not to give away any spoilers, but we see some racists get theirs. And it was kind of satisfying. And I can't tell if that was something of a gift to some of us who are really struggling in 2020. I would also say that there is this beautiful theme that to me seems to be emerging from the first few scenes. And it's so hard to talk about this show because you don't want to give anything away. But it feels like whether it's aliens or some higher universal guide, it's almost like this universe or aliens or higher guide is protecting this trio of Tick, George and Letty Mm -hmm. and striking down those who are wanting to attack them. And that feels good. It's nice to see people who are literally saying, we deserve to sit here and get some coffee and breakfast, and then see there is something greater than us that has the power to protect them from those who don't want them to have basic rights. I wonder if this show portraying sundown towns will do the same as Watchmen with Tulsa, where a ton of people, especially white folks, learn about the history of sundown towns. For sure. This will be new to a lot of people, unfortunately. Which is wild to me. Back to the show. I also thought the portrayals on the show were really beautiful. Journey Smollett just deserves every single good thing that comes her way. Courtney B. Vance stays having a job. He's such (laughs) a great actor as George Freeman, but also you've never seen that man not employed. It's just fascinating to see Jonathan Majors as Tick, he is this strong, potentially imposing man, and yet he plays that character so gently, and he's such a beautiful actor. I would recommend, if you haven't seen him in it yet, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, but he was so good in that role. And then Anjanu Ellis plays George Freeman's wife, Hippolyta, and... There's so much that she has to portray in the little bit of time that she's on screen where she's strong for her family. She's helping them prepare for the ride, but she's also scared out of her mind for her husband and her nephew because these are guidebook trips. So you're taking a risk in determining which places are safe for Black people and which places are not safe, potentially fatal for Black people. And she's also having to take care of her daughter who's staying with her and having to remain this nurturing person in addition to being strong and being scared. And she did all that within a span of like a few, few minute scenes. I was just so impressed by the acting. Very well-rounded cast. And I have to agree, I wasn't familiar with Jonathan Majors before this, but I was impressed how he was able to lead this trio Mm -hmm. and lead the show. He does have that imposing look because he's a very built guy, but he has that softness, especially when he was talking to his cousin 
And you really see he's a complex character. And this is the last thing I'll say on the show. There are so many smaller side stories happening that could be their own shows. Like there's so much cool stuff happening. So George and Hippolyta's daughter, it draws comics. And so she draws comics on the guidebooks, which is beautiful. And that that is its own story. We know that Letty is potentially a civil rights activist because in the background you see these fights that she has with her siblings she missed her mom's funeral she is running out of money because she's bailing her friends out of jail for protesting and she's trying to integrate towns and you see her family wanting to hold her back and keep her safe that was such a powerful story to tell because a lot of people were not for the civil rights movement that in and of itself could be its own movie and it was playing in the background of the show you see her fights with her family in the background of scenes. And there's a very unintentional, timely reference to Black Panther with Panther Man Uh, as a comic character. That one really hit. I cried. R.I.P. to Chadwick Boseman. You are an angel. So let's wrap this up. Me too. What would you rate Lovecraft Country on HBO? Would watch again, seriously. I almost watched the next episode last night. And then the only reason that stopped me is I was scared I was going to give a spoiler to you because I knew we would talk about it. Y'all, usually BJ and I talk for like maybe 30 minutes. We talk through the order of the shows and how we'll discuss them. And we ended up talking about Lovecraft Country for like 30 additional minutes. And I was scared that I would give away spoilers to you and to our listeners. And it's the only thing that stopped me from watching the next episode. I totally agree. Would watch again, seriously. This is a show you're going to want to talk to other people about, explore the themes, the mysteries. They do that thing that all good shows do where they end with a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. So you want to know what happens in the next episode. Just watch the show. Stunning show. So how about we transition to something that goes from horror to comedy with an animated series? I think you're talking about Hoops on Netflix. Jake Johnson voices basketball coach Ben Hopkins, who suffers a bit of a breakdown in the first episode and believes that if he can turn his short, awful basketball team around, he will fix his life. We meet other people at the school, including Cleo King voicing Principal Opal Lowry, his team voiced by lots of great comedians, and the new tall player that he's hoping to recruit and is kind of hinging his legacy on the seven-foot-tall Maddie, voiced by A.D. Miles. Beach, how did you feel about this one? I have to say I was taken aback. I knew this was an adult animated series, but they really take advantage of adult themes and I guess being on Netflix where you can really push the rating because this is raunchy. And for a show about high school students, they have no boundaries. None. So the show is really raunchy. He offers the team, if they do even a little bit well in a game, the password to his porn accounts to view Mm -hmm. porn online. One of the Mm -hmm. players is gay. And so he gave him his credit card so that he could buy access to gay porn because the porn account that he offered to the teams did not have a vertical for gays. And then he tries to hire a sex worker to... Connie, yeah. To recruit Maddie because he's seven feet tall. And then he thinks that the only thing keeping him from success is the fact that his team is short. Yep. And so he is willing to um, sexually assault one of his players or facilitate it. Using money from his players. 
Yes, the other basketball players gave him money and they gave him money because they knew that they would never be on another basketball team because the issue, and I guess we can expand this beyond all of the crimes that he committed in this first episode. The problem is not only that they're short, they literally don't know how to play basketball and they don't seem to have a strong interest in it. And so they do have that come together moment where they're like, we'll never have another coach like this guy, which is true. He lets everything slide. So they band together in the spirit of not wanting to learn basketball in order to have fun with their friends and give him money so that he can try to hire a sex worker. Yeah, I think they try to add some heart and compassion to the show by showing that this team, the Colts, they are a family. These group of guys really enjoy spending time with each other. And this is where they get their friends. And fortunately for them, I guess, Ben facilitates that environment for them to just hang out. I think they should all just join a club at their school or start a club. (laughs) But I guess being on the basketball team is also another option. Is there not like a debate club or a science club at this school, academic team? Or they could just, you know, hang out. Yeah, they could just spend time at each other's homes. But they don't. So what did you think of, let's start with Ben's assistant coach, Ron. So Ron Funches voices Ron, and I absolutely love Ron Funches. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. He's the most adorable comedian, and the dynamic between them is really odd because... Ron is dating Ben's estranged wife. And so Mm -hmm. Ron considers Ben his best friend. Ben obviously has a disdain for Ron. And there is one scene that made me laugh out loud where Ron was like, hey, could you stop texting my girlfriend, which is Ben's estranged wife? And he pulls up his phone and it's just you up over and over and over again, essentially in the middle of the night. And so I think that their dynamic is weird and maybe the funniest part of the show. And then his estranged wife is Shannon, voiced by comedian Natasha Leggero. I like how Shannon was keeping it real and letting us all know that Ben is trash and that's why she left him. I don't root for Ben. And I wonder if there is a point where we're encouraged to root for him. I imagine we'll dive more into the relationship with his father, who was a professional basketball player turned novelty restaurant owner. Yes, voiced by Rob Riggle. And I think some expectations from his father will probably lead us to at least feel bad for Ben. I see. So he just can't help that he is so helpless. Yeah, he said his mom made him short. So it started at an early age. That's tough. My mom made me short too. Do you see the team finding success or even just not losing by a ton of points every single game now that they might have this shot at the seven foot tall player? Yes, I see them improving. Mm -hmm. I see the players learning basketball. I see Maybe there'll be some storyline with a new coach who will try to replace Ben and actually coach them. Do I see them being the winning team? Okay. Will they get a victory? Possibly. And they're in Kentucky where apparently winning cures all. So if they do win, that would probably be the end of the whole story because they'd all succeed. (laughs) So did this show succeed in getting you to want to watch more episodes? It did not. To our regular listeners, you know that comedies and adult animated series rank low on my preferred genres. And this one doesn't stand out to me. And I'm also not a big basketball fan, except for specifically Duke basketball. And so 
Because this is not Duke basketball, I'm not going to watch again. How about you? Agreed with every single word of that. Although we might lose some people because of our Duke fandom. We picked a blue and that's very divisive. Very divisive. In these divisive times, as politicians like to say, we've decided to divide further. (laughs) How about we go to another world where people are divided amongst themselves in their own homes? I think you're talking about the show about the period that we're existing in just a few weeks earlier, Love in the Time of Corona on Freeform. In this limited series, shot in a very interesting way that we'll get into in our review, we meet a few couples who are going through it due to Rona. We have James, played by Leslie Odom Jr., and Sade, played by Nicolette Robinson, who are married, and James was away for most of their young three-year-old's life working, and now they have an opportunity to potentially prop up Sade's career, but they're also deciding if they want another baby, which may sideline her. So that is going on in that household. Then we meet Oscar, played by Tommy Dorfman, and Elle, played by Rainey Quayley, and their extremely codependent roommates who are looking for love while physically distancing and there might be some attractions in the house as well. And the last couple in the home is Paul, played by Gil Bellows, and his estranged wife, Sarah, played by Rhea Kelstadt. And they no longer want to be married to each other, but are forced to be in the same home to provide some structure for their daughter, Sophia, for their daughter, Sophie, played by Ava Bellows, because Ava has just gone through a breakup with her boyfriend who was supposed to quarantine with them. And now they're pretending to be a happily married couple in order to have some stability and some positivity for Sophie. And lastly, we meet the character that shattered my heart, Nanda, played by L. Scott Caldwell. And we're early in the quarantine. And so she is hoping that she'll get out by May so she can be reunited with her husband who is staying at a care facility to celebrate their 50th anniversary. And that's where we are. How about we just break down each household? Let's start with James and Sade, the ones who are debating whether or not to have a corona baby. And, you know, they are struggling to figure out how to easily shop without being paranoid about the virus. It's interesting because you see their dynamics immediately in this grocery trip. So Sade knows what kind of yogurt the baby likes. She knows where everything is in the store. The point is to get in and out quickly. She writes on the back of pieces of paper. And so she has a system down and clearly she's been the one running the home and James is now being introduced to his home. They show that in small scenes, which I liked. For example, he's looking for the yogurt spoon and he opens the wrong drawer and Sade just quietly opens the correct drawer to give him the baby's spoon that she uses for yogurt. Yeah, it was very realistic. I feel like I know some people who are in this situation where parents who are typically away during the day are now home with their child and learning about what it's like to take care of their child 24-7. And I think that there is an added point, maybe we should talk about Paul and Sarah next, where each of these homes potentially except for Nanda, but maybe including Nanda, are all pretty well-to-do homes. Yes. These are people that may have had assistance too. Exactly. Everyone on this cast still has an income. And is in a very nice setup. And we should back up and say the actors filmed in their homes. Yeah, that's the cool part where they really are taking this whole quarantining at home thing to another level because these actors are filming in their homes where they are quarantining like the characters. 
And each of the couples is an actual couple or each of the people are filming in their homes. So Alan Oscar, played by Rainey, Qualey and Tommy Dorfman are actually best friends. Leslie Odom Jr. and Nicolette Robinson are actually married. Same with Rhea and Gil Bellows, though they're not. Um, That's awkward. <laughs> an estranged marriage. They said they were playing a different sort of marriage. This is pretend. We're just pretending, Sophie. And that's their actual daughter. And there's a scene where we should get into them next. Oscar and Elle do TikTok style videos. Mm-hmm. And they had a camera rig that they had all over the people's homes. And then they would put iPhones next to the cameras in case they needed vertical shots as well. Because so much of our existence right now, while we're physically distancing, is through FaceTime and other vertically shot video. Apple loves that a lot of shows this past summer have been shot on iPhones. Shout out to Apple for just raking it in. So, speaking of Oscar and Elle, were you also uncomfortable with how close they were? Even though they are best friends, they were rubbing each other's feet. He shaved her legs. While they shared a bathtub. Yes. That scene, I was not at all offended or scared of the aliens in Lovecraft, but that I had to take a beat away from my laptop for a second. But I will say it is relatable. And I've seen this happen where best friends take over each other's dating profiles. That's a very realistic thing to do. I would say overall in the show, it's a pretty realistic portrayal of what life in March of this year was like. Yeah. How do you feel about Paul, Sarah, and Sophie? That's tough. One, Sophie, she needs to become independent. Yes. And then poor Paul, he's just playing along. I get why Sarah wants to maintain the image of a of happy parents, but that's very stressful to live a lie in front of your daughter who you love so much. While y'all are all surviving a pandemic that we have no information on now, but certainly 12 weeks ago, we were clueless. If you think about it, Paul probably went into this thinking, okay, this will be two months max. Yeah, I knew people who had trips in like July, let's say, summer trips with friends that they did not cancel those tickets on initially. That's just like with Nanda, her anniversary party is in May, and she is hopeful that things will be okay by then. That was heartbreaking because one, we don't have to get into larger stuff, but we were told that this thing would wrap by the spring. And so it's not absurd that she would have that belief. And then two, she's the only one filming alone. And I think she really captured the feeling of physically distancing and Rona where you're spending a lot of time isolated. And I thought that of all the performances, I was most moved by hers, which she was able to do just looking at a laptop screen, looking at her mm-hmm. phone, FaceTiming a different character, all of that. She just did it beautifully. We just did an episode of the new Chitlin Circuit, which we would strongly recommend y'all check out. And they closed the episode with naming who came to act, who came to just show out. And for me, it was L. Scott Caldwell as Nanda. She came to act, A-C-K-T. Need to learn your spelling, me too. (laughs) She definitely did an excellent performance. And I think they gave her the most emotional scenes because she has to have dinner with her husband over a video chat because he's at the nursing facility. And then you see a very emotional phone call with one of her sons. We should also mention James is another one of her sons. So within our households, two of the households are actually connected. Mm -hmm. And it 
like you said, is very relatable where you see this woman who's living alone and her connection to the people she cares about is all just phone calls or video chats, but she's still at the end of the day eating at her dining room table by herself. It was just so beautifully portrayed. I was really moved by her performance. So how did you feel about the rest of the show? Will you watch Love in the Time of Corona again seriously? In this case, we're not talking about multiple seasons. We're talking about a limited series given we don't know what the rest of this will look like. I guess they could come back since we don't know. More love in the time of more Corona. That's true. Oof. And then it's like, <laughs> love in the time of Corona 3, Tokyo Drift. I would rate this would watch again casually. I'm not going to speed through this mini series, but it is interesting to watch something that's really meta. It's so realistic. It's almost like a documentary, but it's not. And the families are real too, which adds another odd meta level, even if they're yeah. not portraying their exact relationship dynamics. It's like BH90210, where they were like mm-hmm. the actors, but also the characters. It's weird. But I'm going to watch it. What about you? Same. I would watch again casually. I don't need to binge Love in the Time of Corona because I don't want to be surrounded by Corona while existing in Corona. That's a fair and reasonable request. Yes. Let's go to some people who I think are a little less fair and definitely unreasonable at times on another animated series. You ready? Yes. Tell us about Star Trek Lower Decks from CBS All Access. So this is an adult animated series in the world of Star Trek. This series was created by Mike Mahan, who you may remember from our review of Solar Opposites. This has a very similar vibe. And the story follows the support crew of the U.S. Cerritos in the year 2380. And this time, unlike other Star Trek series, we're headed to the Lower Decks, where we meet the rule breaker Beckett Mariner, voiced by Tani Newsom, a hopeful future captain, Brad Boimler, voiced by Jack Quaid, a new medical support, Devana Tindy, voiced by Noelle Wells, and a new cyborg, Sam Rutherford, voiced by Eugene Cordero. And then the captain of our Starfleet ship is Carol Freeman, voiced by Don Lewis. So in this first episode, the USS Cerritos goes on a second contact visit to an alien planet. Boimler and Mariner are on a special mission to talk to the natives. And meanwhile, we have Devana and Rutherford who are dealing with a zombie outbreak on the ship. A viral outbreak, really. Yeah, that's what happens when you explore new worlds. You get bit. When you do clownery, the clown comes back to bite. So what do you think of this whole idea of looking at the lower level crew, the kind of support staff of the ship versus our captains and our lead officers? I like this take. It was a fun animated show. And I think that because they focused on the lower level crew where more hijinks might happen, they got away with more of the humor that you expect with an animated show versus what happens with the higher ranking officers. I am subject to a lot of Star Trek and (laughs) sometimes... Because I live with someone who is obsessed with both Star Trek and Star Wars. So I'm subject to a lot of both. If you need help, blink twice. I'm blinking, y'all. So in any case. (laughs) (laughs) 
the the plots, even when they seem ridiculous, are taken so seriously on the regular Star Trek shows, but they have to be taken seriously because it's the higher ranking officers who are tasked with keeping their crews safe. Whereas on this show, when you you bring back this virus that makes everyone turn into zombies, or you have to help these aliens milk this giant bug that is suckling on one of your coworkers. Ugh. They don't have to treat it seriously. It's ridiculous and it gets to be treated as ridiculous because it's an animated program. So I liked that. That's true. By going to these less senior positions, we can kind of see them slack off a little more, have a little more fun, and you don't have all the eyes on them with these expectations of everything you do is going to make a new treaty with the new world. Everything you do is about getting in the history books. And we hear that from our rule breaker of the crew, Mariner, who apparently had a higher ranking position previously before this new position on the USS Cerritos. I do want to stop and say Tawny Newsome voices back at Mariner and Tawny Newsome can do no wrong. And I didn't know that she would be such a good voice actor. So first thing, I really liked the voice acting all around. But second, yes, Mariner is being positioned as this rule breaker, but she also has been around a lot of ships, a lot of mm-hmm. missions, and she might be one of the most skilled, experienced, knowledgeable people within that crew. Yeah, she's that super smart person who knows what to do, but also knows when it has to be done. And when it doesn't have to be done, she's just having a good time. Which is difficult to manage, which is the issue that the captain of the ship, Carol Freeman, is running into, who's voiced by, of course, the greatest person in history, Don Lewis. Mariner's a little too smart, you might say. And Freeman tasks Boimler with keeping an eye on Mariner. And it seems like Freeman is trying to build a case to get Mariner out of there. She doesn't want any of that riffraff in her lower decks. (laughs) (laughs) How do you... Riffraff. So what do you think of Boimler, who's very um, picky about following the rules and really wants to move up to that senior position. He looks up and admires people like the captain. We get to see him in this first episode shed away a little bit of the veneer and and pull back the veil. Mm-hmm. Am I mixing enough metaphors for you? Where he himself is opening up to the other members of the crew. And so he's acknowledging his place on the ship and allowing himself to connect with them. Because initially, obviously, he's looking to step over them into leadership. Mm-hmm. And he's also pulling the veil back and realizing, oh, these higher ranking officers that I greatly aspire to become are not so great. So I think that'll be a cool journey to watch. And he seems to already be learning a lot from Mariner. And I think Mm -hmm. they'll be good rubbing off of each other. Yeah, I definitely hope it goes both ways. Because I think Mariner could learn some things from Boimler just about how to treat others and how to work in a team. But then Mariner has those like critical skills that Boimler needs if he does want to progress in his career. What did you think of our medic of the team, Devana? She's new, she's excited, she's holding someone's heart. I thought her dynamic with Rutherford was really cool, where you get to see them be these, a scientist and a cyborg, and have these roles where they are almost like tools for the ship, not even people, but then also express themselves and nerd out and get to be excited over the tech and other human elements of their job. Yeah, they were excited about a rare malfunction in a door. Sexy stuff. So, Beach, 
Do you want to watch more episodes of CBS All Access's Star Trek Lower Decks? I do. I would watch again casually. It's kind of like what you were saying earlier, because we're not looking at the senior leadership, the captains of the ship, but these lower ranking positions, we can have more fun. And I think that makes this Star Trek series more approachable than previous ones I've seen. So I want to see what kind of adventures Mariner and Boimler are going to go on. How do you feel? Agreed. I want to watch more episodes. And I think that brings more peace in my home because I know my partner (laughs) will want to watch more episodes as a Trekkie. And if you are not super into the Star Trek universe and don't know people's names like me, I think that this show is still fun for you because it's just fun to see a workplace comedy take place in space. But then if you do like Star Trek, you get to see little Easter eggs of the other iterations of the show that you love. Yeah, they name drop a lot mm-hmm. i recognized spock uh-huh and kirk mm-hmm. yeah vulcan something that's a planet we're done <laughs> if you want to listen to more of our reviews head to our website at thepilotpodcast.com and you can subscribe to us on all of your favorite podcast platforms you can follow us on twitter and on instagram at the pilot pod you can send thoughts feelings star trek facts your lovecraft thoughts and predictions because BJ and I are now very into the show to ask the pilot podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.